Welcome to Village Mentality, where melanated people are connected in spirit, love, and community. What's up, kings and queens? Beautiful people everywhere. It's your girl, C.K. McGee, and I am your host. Well, how's everybody doing? I pray that you are all doing well and that you're learning the importance of taking things one day at a time. Because if not, then things can become pretty overwhelming. You dig? I want to make sure to encourage us all to take better care of ourselves and to put as much effort into that as we do into taking care of others. Now, I want you to know, Village, just how grateful I am to you all for hanging out with me for another episode of Village Mentality. So good to have you with me this week. So is it just me or is this year going by extremely fast? I mean, good golly, Miss Molly, before you know it, the holidays will be here. I guess that's what makes it vitally important to not only make the most of your time, but to also be sure to enjoy yourself while doing so. I would like to give a special shout out to one of the greatest to ever do it. No one ever took charge of the stage or had such memorable performances like he did. And with all the hard work that he put in behind the scenes, each thrilling performance was seamless. And through it all, he remained humble garnering fans all across the world. During today's show, all of the music from my musical jukebox will be in tribute to the one, the only, King of Pop, Michael Jackson, whose birthday would have been on August 29th, which is this coming Monday. He was a Virgo, just like me. Virgos come through. And we are coming through because it is Virgo season. So without further ado, listen up to see if you might hear one of your favorite songs during the show, starting with this one. Now this song, Village, was from his very first album as a solo artist. It was written by English songwriter Rod Temperton and produced by Quincy Jones, released by Epic Records here in the U.S. in 1980. Now Village... I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that this song, this song that I'm about to play, was originally offered to Karen Carpenter of the Carpenters. Now, <laughs> if you are at all familiar with her, then it might make you scratch your head too. <laughs> but I truly believe that songs have a way of finding the person that was meant to sing them. And what I love about this song is that it's about, you know, getting over your troubles. And usually by the time the song ends, I know that I begin to feel just a little bit better. So here's Off the Wall by Michael Jackson.
that was PYT, Pretty Young Thing, from Michael's iconic thriller album, which sold, I believe, a billion copies worldwide. Now, I'm not going to be playing songs like Beat It or Billie Jean during this tribute, just to let you know. See, I wanted to play music that we do not get to hear a lot, unless, of course, you have his music. Now, that was his sixth single, and the original demo version of PYT was something that was written by Michael and Greg Fillingaines. Now, Quincy Jones had actually passed on the song, but he did like the title. So along with singer James Ingrams, excuse me, they remade a whole new song using that same title. And the song that was released in September of 1983, it reached number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. And this song, it was sampled by other artists, including Monica and Kanye West. And the original demo that I spoke about, well, it was remixed by Black Eyed Peas singer, Will I Am, for Thriller 25. Oh yeah, and another little fun fact, for those of you who do not know, but those background singers, yeah, they were his sisters, LaToya and Janet Jackson, who gave him a helping hand. Well, Village, you know me. I like to take a little bit of time to talk about some things, whether it be about current events, entertainment, or something that's just on my mind. So why don't we get into my segment called Let's Talk About It. Okay, beautiful people. But let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time when you have been nervous or afraid to take time off from work to look after your mental health? This was a question that was posed by Marissa Cabas, who is a writer and political strategist. Now, she put this question on Twitter and it was inspired after all by Simone Biles, who we know bowed out of a couple of the Olympic events in order to take care of her mental health, which as we know, was a big shock to a lot of people. Well, I mean, if the mentality that we practice and that we encourage is to just push through the pain and be strong, well then of course people are gonna be shocked, right? Well, apparently this tweet drew thousands of responses by people who admitted that they never disclosed the real reason behind why they need to take time away from work. They even went so far as to say that they feel pressured to lie about it because they are embarrassed. So this so-called quote unquote sad day or mental health day, as it is more commonly known as, is something that most people say they have never taken. Bass who is a freelance writer, has uh, been very prolific about her own mental health struggles with anxiety and depression. She says that there are days when she just wakes up and decides, I just cannot 
do this. Now, how many of you out there have felt that same way? Just woke up in the morning knowing that you have a whole lot of stuff to do that day and you just feel like you can't, you just can't. Well, I know that I definitely can tell you that I have. Sometimes the anxiety would be so bad that I would be feeling it heavy the night before. I mean heavy. And I would find myself literally watching the clock tick away towards the time when I knew that I would have to, you know, get out of bed and go to work. And there were days that I just could not do it. I remember feeling the heaviness in my chest. My breathing was labored. I remember feeling nauseous. I'd be sweating, all of it, Village. So Kabis, she talks about how she used to feel that way, right? And whenever she did, she would take a day off, which was a luxury. She said that she did not enjoy when she was an employee. Now, for the most part, we know that, you know, people have their paid sick leave, but in some surveys that have been conducted, they indicate that people are unlikely to use those days for mental health reasons, or they're just plain scared of being punished for doing so. And experts, they suggest that it's time for us to start prioritizing our mental health and our well-being, especially when we know that millions of our brothers and sisters are headed back to work, who, as a result of the pandemic, worked remotely, right? And here's the thing, guys, we never feel bad when we're taking a sick day, although there are some of us who do. Some of us come to work sick, and that's not a cool thing because then you're spreading your germs. But <laughs> for the most part, we don't feel bad when we have to take a sick day because of physical health, right? And I believe that it's because we feel that at least with physical health, we can prove that we're not well. You feel me? You might have a temperature. You might have the chills. Maybe there's some vomiting involved. And, you know, when we're talking about mental health at all, some may feel that it's not so easy to quote unquote prove, you know, that you're not doing well because there are signs that are not visible in some people's minds. And we're afraid of talking about it. We're afraid of being criticized for it. So it's not something that's easy to talk about, especially when you yourself may not quite understand what's going on with you, right? Does that make sense? Now, Natalie C. Dottillo, who is a clinical psychologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, shout out to the Dean. She is also an instructor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. And she says, quote, your body needs a rest and your brain needs a break, unquote. Village, let me ask you this. Have you ever been mentally exhausted? Right? Think about that for a moment. Have you ever been mentally exhausted? Because I'm telling you, it is not the same as physical exhaustion, not by a long shot, right? Usually when we sleep, one of the things that's supposed to happen during that time is, you know, uh, a feeling of restoration, right? And that usually comes with a good night's sleep. You wake up in the morning, ready to take on the world. You know that attitude, right? But when it comes to mental exhaustion, it is not so easily remedied and it wears on you in a totally different way than physical exhaustion. And so for the sake of our mental health, it is important for us, Village, to recognize the difference and to learn how to take better care of ourselves so that we can work through it in a healthy way. Agree? Okay. 
Now, let me just share this with you guys because I want you to know that I'm with you. I am here in the village with you. Even though I'm sharing the information, I'm learning along with you. So I do not proclaim to be an expert of any kind. I just feel like it's necessary <clears throat> for us to talk about this. And I don't mind sharing my experiences. So in my last job, I worked as a senior uh, case manager for a back to work program. And so we pretty much acted as advocates for people who were not able to work due to serious illness or injury, right? So in each case that we took, it was like you were a mini lawyer for this individual and you had to prove through your paperwork, you know, that you would submit and, you know, the work that your client would submit to you, to the city of New York, that this person was qualified to receive benefits, either social security insurance, which we refer to as SSI, or social security disability insurance, which is SSDI, right? So, you know, you had to manage your caseload, you chased after the clients, you know, you had to ensure that they were doing what they were supposed to do, going to doctor's appointments, getting notes that they might need from those doctors, right? Providing us with financial information, et cetera. And let me tell y'all, this job, it was like never ending. And you worked with other departments as a team to get the win. And the win came in the form of an award letter. It was extremely taxing work, gratifying, but very taxing. And even at the end of the battle, even when there was victory, it just took everything out of you. And you didn't just have like one client, okay? You had several clients and their cases, you know, were kind of different, may have been treated differently, all of those kinds of things, right? So, you know, it's just like the kind of work you had to do on those cases depended on what kind of client that person was, right? Well, I can tell you this. One day, a couple of my fellow coworkers, some of them actually friends, they became concerned, right? And they came to me and I guess I wasn't looking right, you know, like physically I wasn't looking right. And I mean, I knew already on the inside, I wasn't feeling right, but they were like, are you okay? Is everything all right? You good, right? <laughs> because they knew uh, that beside the work that I was doing as a case manager, but there were also a lot of things that were going on internally in my department, right? I was literally, literally running the whole, my whole department by myself. And there was strife at home. So there was no relief. There was no release. I was eating things that I should not have been eating. I was smoking when I did smoke. I was smoking like way, way too much. And I was drinking soda like crazy. Now, don't get it twisted. I still like soda, but I don't drink soda half as much, not even close what I was consuming, you know, a few years back, I've cut down considerably, right? So I'm doing all this stuff to kind of just like cope everything that I was like dealing with, right? But there came a point where I was unable to pretend that I could hold it all together. I mean, I had to, right? I had to go to the director of the program. And eventually I asked for some time off because I felt like at any moment I would collapse and as a matter of fact, I did on two occasions. It happened out in the street, though. 
and it was close to home, but it still happened. And it was the weirdest thing because you're aware of the fact that you didn't like trip over anything. You didn't stumble over your feet. No, I'm talking legs just giving out from under you collapse. So here's the, the, the moral of the story. We can ignore the signs all we want to, right? But eventually our body is going to let us know that we have to do something differently and that we need to take care of ourselves, period. There is no if, ands, or but about it. You might think that you can go and go and go and go, but something somewhere down the road is gonna happen and God forbid it be anything that could possibly endanger, you know, someone else's life. So you gotta start, we've gotta start listening to the signs that our body is giving us, right? Now, mental exhaustion, it can happen to anyone who experiences long-term stress. It can make you feel overwhelmed and emotionally drained and it makes your responsibilities and problems seem impossible to overcome. Yes, it's so true. Now, feelings of detachment and ap apathy can wreak havoc on all aspects of your personal and work life. You may feel trapped in your situation and you may feel like the power to do anything is out of your hands. But I'm telling you, you can overcome mental exhaustion with some help, right? So let's talk about some of the mental health, uh, excuse me, the mental exhaustion. Let's talk about some of the, the symptoms of mental exhaustion, shall we? Now, it can also cause physical as well as emotional symptoms, just so that you guys know. It can impact your behavior as well, which others may notice even before you do, like in the case of the story that I just shared with you, right? I mean, I knew I wasn't feeling well on the inside, but I didn't realize that people were able to like see it on the outside, you know? <clears throat> so some of the symptoms of mental exhaustion can vary from person to person and often begin to show gradually, creeping up on you during periods of extreme stress. And, you know, if stress continues to weigh on you, you may reach a point when you feel as though you're in a dark hole and you can't see your way out. Not a good feeling, trust me. Some people refer to this as burnout. Now, I'm sure you guys have probably heard that word before, right? And even though that word is not considered a medical term, it is real though, that feeling is real. And so even if you're not experiencing all the signs and symptoms, it is important to start to recognize that there are signs that could indicate that you're on the path to mental exhaustion or burnout. So let's talk about the emotional signs of mental exhaustion and what those include. Emotional signs of mental exhaustion can be things like depression, anxiety, cynicism or pessimism, apathy, which is a feeling of not caring, detachment, anger, feelings of hopelessness, feelings of dread let me tell you something that dreadful feeling along with the depression and anxiety not a good combination at all for me it was paralyzing so it's definitely important for you to pay attention to what you're feeling right and i really didn't feel like i had anybody to talk to either especially not at home so 
hopefully, you know, you're recognizing the signs and you have someone that you can like talk to and share, you know, your feelings with. There's also lack of motivation, a decline in productivity and difficulty concentrating with emotional signs of mental exhaustion. Now here's some of the physical signs. You may experience headaches, upset stomach, body aches, chronic fatigue. Yeah, you know how you go to bed, get that good night's sleep, so to speak, but you still wake up exhausted? Yeah, chronic fatigue. And that's been because it's been building up over time, right? It changes in your appetite. Insomnia. Yep, I remember maybe two, three days in a row, I wouldn't be able to sleep. Weight gain or weight loss. And you know, I've shared with you, Village, weight has always been an issue for me. And unfortunately, I'm on the weight gain part of that um, spectrum. And also, there could be increased illness such as colds and flu. And I would think, you know, your immune system is a little bit compromised because you might not be taking as good care of yourself as, you know, you should be, right? Now, again, it can also affect our behavior, Mental exhaustion can cause you to behave in ways that are out of character for you. And so some of these signs may be poor performance at work, social withdrawal or isolation, inability to keep personal or work commitments, and calling in sick to work or school more often. Yes, I can definitely testify that social withdrawal or isolation and definitely calling in sick to work or school more often have definitely been things that I've, I've done when it's gotten to that point where I'm about to go over the edge, right? I can't necessarily say that my performance suffered or my personal or my work commitment suffered. I know that might sound strange, but if you think about it this way, I was always more concerned, I guess, about like helping others than myself. Um, but then, like I said, once it got to that point where I felt like I was getting ready to go over the edge, then, you know, I started to isolate and withdraw, not having anyone to talk to, and then not wanting anyone to really see me because of how I was feeling, you know? I, I, I just felt like I couldn't um, keep up the pretense any longer. You know what I'm saying? So, now, let's talk about stress versus mental exhaustion, Right? Now, stress, we all know, is something that everyone experiences from time to time. It's our body's natural response to positive and negative situations that are new, exciting, or scary. Now, this biological response results in a surge of stress hormones, including adrenaline and cortisol. This boost of hormones helps us react quickly to perceived threats and high-pressure situations that require quick thinking. Once the stressor has been removed, then your body should go back to normal. It should. Now, mental exhaustion is usually the result of long-term stress, something that has been building and building and building, that you've just been being strong, you've just been pushing through, you've just been ignoring, you've just been setting aside your feelings, right? And when you're continually dealing with things that activate your body's stress response, your cortisol uh, level remains high. It never comes down. So eventually, this begins to interfere with your normal body functions, such as digestion, sleep, and your immune system. 
Remember how we were just talking about those colds and flu and insomnia? All of those things are impacted. Amazing how our body works. It all works together. And when you're not taking care of one part of it, it affects the rest of it. That's why I keep talking about the importance of recognizing that your mental health is one fourth of your overall health. And if you're not taking care of your mental health, it is going to affect your physical, spiritual, and emotional health as well. It all works together. Now, while the triggers of mental exhaustion are not the same for everyone, some may be more common than others. So here's, here's some common causes of mental exhaustion. High pressure occupations, right? You might be working a job like a, a, for, as an emergency responder or a teacher, right? Working long hours, financial stress and poverty, job dissatisfaction, let me tell you something. I know that we're all like, oh, I got to pay them bills. Got to get this bag because I got to pay those bills, you know, but yet you're dreading your job. You hate your job. You're not satisfied with what you do. Maybe you have, um, you know, gone as far as you can go. Again, there's only so for only so long are you going to be able to sort of like maintain the pretense you have to be this above all to thine own self be true at some point you have to do what feels right for you and stop worrying about everybody else it's not to say that you don't care about everyone else but golly can we at least care about ourselves did i just say golly sorry but we have to care about ourselves all right you could be stressed because you're a caregiver for an ill or aging loved one. That's a stressful situation, right? You could be living with a chronic illness yourself. The death of a loved one can cause a lot of stress. Having a baby or work-life balance. We've all heard that say, that saying, right? All work and no play makes who a dull boy or girl or whatever, okay? So you got to find that, that, that work-life balance. Um, how about, how about this one? Lack of social support. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Now, if you remember, if you listened last week, I talked about establishing healthy support systems. See how it all comes together, right? It's important to do that. Establish those healthy support systems because we need that social support, whether it's in your family, friends, coworkers, your peers, your church whomever it is, your book club, your gym family, whatever, as long as you have people around you and you're in the center of a circle surrounded by people who care about you and who are pouring into you, supporting you in the way that you need, right? So kings and queens, what are some of the things that you can do to help alleviate your mental exhaustion? Well, listen up and I'll tell you. You can take a break. Time to rest and recharge is an important part of treating mental exhaustion. This can mean taking an extended vacation or clearing your schedule for a couple of days or even just taking a bit of time for yourself each day. That sounds like self-care. Hmm. 
or you can exercise. Now, I know, I know, it is not always easy to find the motivation to exercise, even on a good day. I can attest to that, right? But exercise has many proven benefits for your physical and your emotional health. You do not need to engage in a complex or high intensity activity. Like nobody's asking you to like start training for the New York Marathon. No, nobody said that, right? Um, but some kind of physical activity can, you know, be beneficial to you. So moderate exercise, like just a brisk walk, brisk walk around the neighborhood would be enough. That would be good. Okay. How about relaxation techniques like yoga or Tai Chi, deep breathing, biofeedback, maybe a massage, aromatherapy, or progressive relaxation therapy. You know, um, Black Women's um, Health Imperative just celebrated, I believe it's their 38th anniversary. And uh, I participated, you know, in, of course, virtually um, in their celebration. So they had like a week of events. Uh, and one of the things that they had was a session where the first half hour was conducted by a yoga instructor. Cool. That was really cool. That was the first time. I was actually like kind of sort of going through the movements and then the second half hour was an instructor that did um a sound bath have you guys ever heard about sound baths I'm gonna have to talk to you about that in another segment of let's talk about it but that was really interesting as well you know and I find myself um you know just on my own experimenting with different forms of like meditation guided meditation and such so that I can find ways to help myself when I'm feeling anxious, how I can kind of calm myself down, bring myself back to the center, you know, all those kinds of, so yeah, relaxation techniques can be pretty helpful. And then of course, always, 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 there's always going to be suggestion about getting more sleep. And I know it's hard sometimes, it can be hard, especially if you're like me, if you suffer from depression, one of those symptoms is about our sleep, right? But we can be, you know, dealing with insomnia at times. So um, let's try to develop a bedroom routine and stick to it, right? You know, um, maybe you can do some light reading for a few minutes before turning in uh, and, and maybe try to make it the same time each night. Now, for all my peoples out there, I know there are some of y'all who work overnight. I get it. I did that too. I did that too. So I know that it's like, you're basically living your life sort of like in the reverse of everyone else. Um, but it doesn't make it any less necessary for you to do your best to come up with a routine that works for you and, you know, do your best to stick to it. Right. Also a gratitude journal. Now I have to admit to you village. I'm not really someone who writes in a journal or what have you, but I do keep one even if it's like on my phone in my note section or whatever on the phone, I do keep a journal that I write in from time to time, but mostly to like express emotions that I'm having about certain things to kind of get them out of my head and off my chest, you know? But the one thing about gratitude is this, the more that you start to focus on the things that you're grateful for in your life, when you start to focus on the blessings that you are definitely living each and every single day, you better believe that you are, okay? Um, the more 
you feel better. You do feel better. Um, the less time you have to like focus on that negative stuff that's going on because you're thinking so much about all the good things. And the benefits of that is that it promotes higher well-being. There are fewer symptoms of physical illness. It helps you to reduce stress. You feel happier. You have higher satisfaction in your relationships. It improves your sleep. Yes. And it gives you better physical health, right? Now, with anything and everything, if you're finding, you know, difficulties in, you know, being able to like work on these things for yourself, well, there's always a recommendation to maybe see a doctor, okay? There's no way that I can leave this out, but, you know, if it does warrant further support, seek help from a mental health professional, you know, a therapist maybe, who can provide you with the tools that can help you to cope with stress, right? The goal, of course, is to help you to learn how to manage your stress better and to get you on track to feeling more like yourself again. And I'm learning in my own life that some of these suggestions that I've shared with you, they can actually become a part of your lifestyle. It doesn't have to be just, you know, to get you through this difficult time that you're having, right? Um, because I think we should always be mindful of taking time take care of ourselves, you know, to replenish your spirit, to feed your soul with the things that make you happy. And that sounds a lot like self-care. Hmm. And I'm telling you, kings, self-care is not just for the queens, okay? We're not talking about manicures and pedicures and getting our hair did. That's not what self-care is all about. Is it nice to be able to go ahead and do that? Absolutely. But it's not just for the queens. It's for you too. It's for our children out there. It's for everybody. Okay. And quite frankly, it's not just a benefit for you, the individual, but everyone around you will benefit as well. So remember, self-care is not selfish. It's necessary. Here's to brighter days. village for the past couple of weeks if you have been listening to the show first of all again i thank you all so much because i truly appreciate you for taking the time to listen but i've been talking about an article that was published by make it black they spoke to five business leaders in the african-american community to determine whether or not they believe that reparations was the answer to closing the racial wealth gap Here's a short review for those of you who may not have heard the previous shows, which of course, I invite you to go back and listen to. Now I started off with Robert L. Johnson, founder of BT and RLJ Companies, who believes that it would take $14 trillion to close the gap, but he recognizes that it would not get the political support needed to pass the legislation. And instead he proposed what he called the Boost Act would involve corporate America supporting and investing in black and brown owned businesses, okay? After that, I talked about John Hope Bryant, who is the chairman and CEO of Operation Hope. And he talked about the fact that he didn't feel that 
it would be possible to, to, to pay Black Americans, right, what they were owed for their labor, because it would just simply bankrupt the country if it was calculated correctly. But he does believe that human dignity and common considerations are key to closing the gap and that we need to heal the breaches of humanity, inhumanity, excuse me, between us. And he feels that America could begin to do this by allowing Black children from kindergarten to college to go to school for free as a forward investment in the nation by the nation, because he believes that what was robbed must be repaired and not simply paid for. And then last week, I shared the thoughts and opinions of Dennis Bryant Howroyd, who is the founder and CEO of the Act One Group. And she said that reparations is controversial and hard to evaluate. And she thinks that one of the biggest logistical challenges in discussing reparations for the African-American descendants of slaves lies in the amount of time that has passed between each successive injury committed against these Americans and other Blacks who have assimilated or integrated into the common population, excuse me, racially. Now, reparations has proven to be a successful way to ameliorate damage, which has been done to a group by the state, especially if that state is the one that caused the injury, right? Now, I mentioned last week you all that I am a descendant of slaves, but I kind of fumbled it a bit. So let me just clarify it, okay? (laughs) My great-great-grandmother, who was called Aunt Bert by my family, was the daughter of slaves. Yep, it's that close, okay? So it's definitely important for us to know about our history. I really had an appreciation, I have to say, for the fact that Miss Harroyd made a distinction between reparations for the descendants and reparations for African-Americans that have suffered injury as a result of severe oppression that has caused socioeconomic damage and emotional trauma. Because quite frankly, in a lot of the uh, conversations that I've heard about reparations, I've never heard that distinction made. I really appreciated that. Now this week, I'm going to share the thoughts and opinions of Kevin Cohey, who is the chairman and CEO of One United Bank. And he too was asked if he thought that reparations is the key to closing the racial wealth gap. And here's what he had to say. He says that reparations are required to compensate Black Americans for the economic damage that has been inflicted upon us as as a result of both illegal and unjust actions taken by white Americans and or governmental entities. Reparations should take many forms, including provision of economic opportunities, cash and property damage awards. That is the kind of thing we're talking about with regard to Black Wall Street print, right? And provision of social programs designed to overcome the life challenges caused by this country's history of systemic racism. Now, he feels that there are a couple of key components for Black Americans to build wealth. And he says, first, white Americans need to be trained on the moral and legal obligations to be anti-racist because systemic racism 
is the primary barrier to the economic prosperity and social and political justice for Black Americans. And two, he feels that Black Americans need to understand the key transactions and activities that will allow us to be effective in building wealth and that our leaders need to take actions to make financial literacy a core value for Black Americans. I agree. Now, this past, this past uh, Juneteenth, which was June 19, 2021, One United Bank discussed the financial steps that are needed to close the racial wealth gap. And so although he's a man of few words, he, like the others, gave us some important points to think about. Now, if you're interested in seeing the One Transaction Conference for this year, type in One Transaction Conference in your search engine, and you should be able to access it from there. Now, it may ask you to fill out a little bit of information like your name and email address before you're actually able to view the conference. But if we can learn anything from it, then I believe that it's worth it. Next up, Village, from my musical jukebox, is his fifth single from the His Story, Past, Present, and Future, book one album. It was released on April 16, 1996. It is a protest song, honey, and remains one of the most controversial pieces Jackson has ever composed. In the U.S. media scrutiny surrounding allegations of anti-Semitic lyrics were the catalyst for Jackson issuing multiple clarifications and apology and a defense from director Spike Lee and also a re-releasing of the song with a new vocal featuring altered lyrics. The singer countered allegations of anti-Semitism by arguing that the reviews had misinterpreted the context of the song, either unintentionally or deliberately. Hmm. Now, there were two music videos. I'm not sure if you all know that. There were two music videos, um, which was an absolute first for Michael for any of his songs. And they were both directed by filmmaker Spike Lee. One was filmed in two different locations in Brazil. One was in uh, Pelorino, the historic city center of Salvador, and in a favela, which I believe is another word for like neighborhood or ghetto of Rio de Janeiro called Dona Marta, where, you know, state authorities had tried to ban all production over fears that the video would damage their image. And of course, this was like the area and the prospects for um, Rio de Janeiro staging the uh, 2004 Olympics. So they were concerned about, you know, the fact that this wasn't a good look for them, they thought, right? But still the residents of the area, they were happy to see the singer, hoping that their problems would be made visible to a wider audience. Now the second video was shot in a prison. And if I remember correctly, I believe it was somewhere in Queens. I didn't see like the name of the prison. And this video, is rarely to like never played on television. So if you get a chance village, I invite you to check it out Go on YouTube. And this video contained footage of multiple references to human rights abuses. 
so commercially, this song became a top 10 hit in all European countries. Number one in the Czech Republic, Germany, Hungary, and Italy. And in the US, the song peaked at number 30 on the Billboard Hot 100. Now, I didn't know this, and I did get a chance to check this out too. I did, I actually looked at it this morning, as a matter of fact. But in 2020, Spike Lee put together a third video that incorporates pieces from both Brazil and the prison version, along with various footage from Black Lives Matter protests that were happening around the world at the time. Now, in response to all the objections about the song, Michael responded by saying this, quote, the idea that these lyrics could be deemed objectionable is extremely hurtful to me and misleading. The song, in fact, is about the pain of prejudice and hate and is a way to draw attention to social and political problems. I am the voice of the accused and the attack. I am the voice of everyone. I am the skinhead. I am the Jew and I am the black man. I am the white man. I am not the one who was attacking. It is about the injustices to young people and how the system can wrongfully accuse them. I am angry and outraged that I could be so misinterpreted, unquote. Well, here's They Don't Care About Us by Michael Jackson. And when we come back, I will get into today's topic.
right, beautiful people. So today I'd like to talk to you a little bit about generational curses and breaking unhealthy cycles. Now, there are so many names for it, right? You can re- you can refer to it as generational patterns, generational cycles, generational legacies, or curses if you're being extreme, but they all mean the same thing. Now, a generational pattern is a belief, perspective, behavior, lifestyle, action, or attitude that is passed down from generation to generation. It's the things an ancestor believed or practiced or did that still have an effect on the younger generation. They are patterns from family history that are passed down from person to person through learned behavior. Now, Kimberly Fasu, who's the writer of this article, talks about how some of the patterns that have been passed down to her and her siblings were done so without her even realizing it until she became older and noticed that she and her siblings were repeating the same behavior, right? That sound familiar? Now, she mentions, for example, that her mother was a loner and that while she was growing up, she never noticed her mother associate with any friends. Her mother was the type to tell you like it was, okay? And had absolutely no problem calling people out for the things that they did. Her mother loved being in her own space with her husband and her kids in it. And she said it was peaceful that way. No drama. There was no annoyances from other people. So not only did Kimberly grow up feeling the same way, but she noticed that her siblings did too. Because after all, they were raised to believe that all they had was each other. So they became each other's best friends. But once she was old enough to move out on her own, she realized that she needed to develop friendships of her own so that she would not be lonely. Hmm, that's interesting, right? So when we think about some of the things that are passed down from generation to generation, you know, we might think about the color of our eyes, whether or not you have a big head, or maybe you've inherited a natural talent like singing or dancing, or maybe you can paint, you can draw, right? But unfortunately, it's not only positive things that are handed down. Sometimes past generations can pass on the worst things to their children without even being aware of what they've done. Now, we are here in life, right? To learn about life's lessons so that we can fulfill our life's purpose. When each generation fails to learn life lessons, then those problems are passed down to the next generation and they continue through the same obstacles or cycles, right? I think it was William Shakespeare who said in The Merchant of Venice that the sins of the father are laid upon the children. Sometimes children have to pay for the things their parents did or didn't do, right? I think they also make reference to that in the Bible when they talk about the third and fourth generations, okay? Sometimes we suffer because of how an ancestor lived or, you know, because of what they did. And the cycles that are passed down are sometimes consequences of an action. Some even think it's because of sin right? So things that keep happening in a family without reason as to why they keep on repeating themselves, keep repeating themselves because no one has learned the lessons yet. And until someone does, the entire family line suffers. That's when it becomes a generational curse. 
Some examples of this could be alcoholism, poverty, single parenthood, divorce, violence, murder, incarcerations, financial woes, or certain health conditions. But it can also be things like um, the inability to communicate or to be affectionate, right? Because maybe you didn't see that while you were growing up. Um, maybe you didn't like see or feel the love and we have a tendency to model the behavior that we see, right? I actually had a friend who said once that in all their life, they never heard their mother and father say, I love you to each other. And their mother and father never said that they loved them. I was stunned. I mean, I was stunned. Just wrapping my brain around the fact that throughout the whole entire time that this person has lived, they have not heard, I love you from their parents. You know, like, whoa, that's, that's real deep. And so if you don't hear it, if you don't feel it, then you are apt to repeat it unless you make the decision to do it differently. And that's where the power to break the cycle comes in and realizing that you can break the cycle, right? Because listen, I have always been someone, always, 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 <laughs> I've always been someone who's had a hard time when people in our family have said things like, well, that's just the way it's always been. Cause I'm like, but yeah, but, but don't you ever like think about the fact that it doesn't always have to be that way. Like I, I, I could just never feel settled with that explanation. You know, I'm always that person. I feel like I'm contrary that like everything else people say, oh, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can if they're willing to learn. Yes, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Stop it. We're from the planet Earth, okay? Let us just all learn how to speak to each other and cut out this ridiculous, these ridiculous excuses, okay? We need to do better, people. We need to do better, all right? So when you break the cycle, you are not only breaking it for yourself, but you're breaking it for your children and your grandchildren. That's deep. Look how far reaching that is, right? Well, look at how far reaching it was, right? So it only stands to reason. Now, I am not sure if anyone else out there watches the television show, This Is Us. Great show, by the way. And I understand that this is going to be its last season. I don't know how I'm going to go on. But anyway, <clears throat> there is an example or two given about generational patterns and cycles within that television family so in one episode all of you this is us fans you probably you might be able to remember this but in one episode s pearson who is the daughter of beth and randall right she suffered an anxiety attack in school and her teacher calls her dad randall who also frequently suffers intense anxiety attacks so in his efforts to try to comfort tess she gets angry and she storms off saying she doesn't want to be anything like her dad. Ew, right? That's hurtful. Beth, who is her mother, was unhappy with the way things were going with the situation, right? And she suddenly remembered a conversation that she had some time back with Randall's birth father, William, who's also, of course, Tess's grandfather, right? And he revealed to Beth that he too suffered 
from anxiety attacks as a kid. But there you have it. The anxiety was a genetic issue passed down from William to Randall and then down to Tess. Also, the same show, another example, Jack Pearson. That's my dude. He's an alcoholic man, unfortunately, right? And he struggles to quit the the habit. And of course, Jack is like the the patriarch of the Pearson family, who unfortunately (sighs) died after the family home burned down. Oh my God, that was, let me stop thinking about it. All right. Now, Jack's brother, his little brother, Nikki, who's on the show now, Nikki also struggles with alcoholism, right? Their father was an alcoholic. And we see this from, you know, uh, flashbacks that's on the show, right? So he has passed that habit on to his sons. And guess what? Back, you know, my dude, he grows up to have a family of his own. And guess what? He passes that trait on to his son, Kevin, you know, one of the big three. Like I said, for all you This Is Us fans, you understand who the big three are. So he passes it on to Kevin. And now Kevin struggles with alcoholism and is struggling to to quit the habit, right? So alcoholism was passed down from Jack's father to Jack, who has now passed it on to Kevin, okay? And so I don't know if you guys like think about the fact, like when you go to the doctor, for instance, like if you're a new patient and they have you fill out all that paperwork, Notice how they're asking you all those questions about like, oh, do you have like cancer, diabetes, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, mental. Well, they're asking those questions because they're looking to see what your your makeup is, what your history is, because more than likely you might be prone to something and they want to be able to at least have a heads up when they're getting ready to treat you. See what I'm saying? Now, the great thing about this beautiful people is that we're not tied to these generational patterns. We are not tied to them. Once we realize that we did not like our past generations or the things that they thought and did, you know, things that our parents did or grandparents did, you know, we are navigating the world in the same way because we're completely blind to it. Like we don't even realize that we're repeating some of the things that we don't even like, right? (laughs) And it is tempting to get angry at our parents, our grandparents, after realizing the things that have been passed on to us, but we can't get mad at them because we have to understand that this is a pattern that was also passed on to them and they may not have been aware of it either. So we don't have to be victims. We don't have to be victims of things that don't belong to us, okay? We aren't our mothers, we're not our fathers or our our, our forefathers and mothers, right? We don't have any control over how they live their lives, but we have the power. We have the power, yeah, over whether you repeat their patterns or end them for good. Think about that. You have the power. We have the power. We all have the power to determine, you know, you're at that fork in the road. Are you going to continue to perpetuate the cycle or are you going to break it? right? So you get to decide if those cycles continue. You have to make the choice to either continue in the footsteps of your ancestors and pass on negative patterns to your children or break the cycle. You have the power to choose and create what you desire to pass down to your children. 
Now your ancestors' sins or dysfunctions or whatever you want to refer to them as, they don't have to become yours. Your past and generational patterns, they do not define who you are and they should not define who your children are. Even if you've learned destructive habits or patterns, you don't have to continue the cycle of passing them on to your children. Hey, we can all end the cycle and save our entire family line. Now, one element that's really important about that, though, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is an important part of breaking the cycle, right? I, I've never understood why people, like if you've been mistreated, why you want to turn around and mistreat somebody else. I don't know if it's just that you feel like, okay, I was like bullied, I was a victim, so I, I want to, you know, take that out on someone else. I want to feel, but I just wish more people would say, no, I don't want to do that. I didn't like how it felt. I didn't like, you know, how it made me, you know, as a person. So I'm not going to turn around and do the same thing. So with people at work, you know, you're climbing the ladder of success or what have you. And maybe people weren't too kind to you when you were coming up the ladder. Doesn't mean that you got to turn around and treat people the same way that you were treated. No, do it the way that you wish it had been done to you. I wish more people would think like that. We need more village mentality. Anyway. You must forgive your parents and your ancestors for the things that they didn't know. We have to forgive for the things they didn't know, right? These patterns may have affected you up until now, but once we can shine a light on it, it loses all its power. And there's freedom and liberation in breaking a cycle and creating a healthier pattern for you and future generations everywhere. Yeah, I like the sound of that. Beautiful people, this next song was from his 10th and final studio album, Invincible. It was released as the lead single from the album on August 22nd, 2001 by Epic Records. Now the chart position of this was attained solely by airplay alone because there was no commercial single initially issued here in the US. But it did reach number one, however, in France, Poland, Romania, South Africa, and Spain. And eventually it reached the top 10 in the US. It probably would have charted higher had it actually been done, you know, the way it was supposed to. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and also Canada, Denmark, Finland, the list goes on, right? Now, it was nominated for a Grammy for Best Male Pop Vocal at the 44th Grammy Awards. And get this, he only performed this song twice, one, two. Two times, he only performed it twice. Once, um, well, actually it was at uh, Madison Square Gardens. Shout out to New York, of course. Uh, and this was like, you know, a couple of concert dates that he had, September 7th and September 10th of 2001. And it was to celebrate his career as a solo artist. I'm not sure if you guys got a chance to see, I think it was like his 30th anniversary special. That must've been what it was that they're referring to. So you can always, always go and take a look at it uh, if you wanna see it. Now, the video was 13 and a half minutes long 
It was directed by Paul Hunter, and it featured the godfather himself, who probably made Michael an offer that he couldn't refuse. <laughs> Marlon Brando. And this comedian who opens up the song. Now, do you think you can guess who it is? Well, take a listen. Here's You Rock My World by Michael Jackson. Oh, man. Oh, look at that girl right there. Goodness gracious. Oh, that girl fine, man. Look at the. Oh, she's just too fine. She knows she's fine, too. She is banging. Oh, she's off the hook. She looks good. Oh. You're right. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. And I bet you can't nobody get that girl. Chris, I can get her. Can't get that girl. Mike, I guarantee you can't get that girl. Watch me get that girl. I bet you never, never, Lynn, you can't. I can get her. All right, jump on in. Jump on! Watch. I don't think they're ready for this. <laughs> Dark child. I like that.
Okay, Village. So let's get into the inspirational story for this week. The name of the story is called Two Wolves, The Two Wolves, right? And it's a really short story, so pay attention. An old Cherokee chief sat down to teach his grandson about life. He says, there's a fight going on inside me, he tells the young boy. And it's a fight between two wolves. One wolf is evil. It's full of malice, anger, greed, self-pity, and false pride. The other is good. It's full of peace, love, joy, kindness, and humility. He went on to say, this same fight is going on inside of you and everyone else on the face of this earth. Now the grandson sat quietly for a moment while he pondered this revelation. And then he asked, well, grandfather, which wolf will win? The old man smiled and replied, the one you feed. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what's the moral of the story? Well, good and evil exists within each of us. It does, own it, it does. We have both of those things in us, right? But it's our responsibility to own that reality and do whatever we can to nurture the good. This song was written by Michael Jackson and he also produced it along with Quincy Jones. Now, although this song was released as the first single from his Thriller album, he never performed it live. It achieved success in the music charts. Aside from topping the R&B singles chart, the single peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and number eight in the UK. By 1985, it had sold 1.3 million copies and was eventually certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America. This song, though, had been the subject of two plagiarism lawsuits. The first was in 1984 and the latter in 1993. Both instances required Jackson to testify in court and each lawsuit was decided in favor of the singer and his record label. Now, Michael said that this recording was one of the most enjoyable moments in the studio and that this was one of his favorite songs to record of all his recordings as a solo artist. And I mean, when you consider who he was working with, then that might explain everything. You see, long before Brandy and Monica fought over a boy, Michael fought over a girl with a famous beetle, Sir Paul McCartney to be exact. And because one good turn deserves another, the following year, they worked together again and recorded Say, Say, Say for Paul McCartney's fifth solo album, Pipes of Peace. And in that video, again, his sister LaToya lent a helping hand by making an appearance. Here's The Girl Is Mine by Michael Jackson featuring Sir Paul McCartney.
She walks right in my dreams Since I met her from the start I'm so proud I am the only one Who is special in her heart The girl is mine The doggone girl is mine I know she's mine Because the doggone girl is mine She's mine The dark old girl is mine Don't waste your time Because the dark old girl is mine I love you more than he Take you Now, Village, Thriller was Michael Jackson's sixth studio album, and it was released on November 30th, 1982. Quincy Jones, of course, uh, produced the album, as well as Michael's previous album, Off the Wall, in 1979. Michael wanted to create an album where, quote, every song was a killer, unquote. Now, I don't know about you, 
but I believe that he accomplished his goal. I tell you, beautiful people, you learn something new every day, no matter how big or small. And something that I did not know with this next song is that it was performed with members of the group Toto. Toto, you know, they sing that song Africa for all of you um, soft rock 80s babies out there like me. I'm not, not, I'm not an 80s baby, but I love soft rock music, okay? Um, but uh, they helped to provide the vocals for the song. It was released as a single on July 3rd, 1983. And like the four thriller singles before it, the song became a top 10 hit in the US, reaching number seven on the Billboard Hot 100. It was number two on the Billboard uh, Adult Contemporary chart, and it was certified platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America. The first version of this song, it was written and composed by Steve Porcaro of Toto. And he wrote the song when his first grade daughter came home crying after a boy pushed her off the slide. He blurted out three reasons for the incident to comfort her. Uh, you know, the boy likes you. Um, you know, people can be strange. And well, as the title of the song indicates, it's just human nature. This song was not even originally meant for Michael Jackson, but I'm gonna let you guys go check that story out on your own. Here's Michael Jackson with human nature. Oh, and see if you can guess what city is he referring to in this song?
Now that song right there, beautiful people, The Lady in My Life, I have to say is one of my favorite songs by Michael Jackson. <laughs> it was written by Rod Temperton, produced by Quincy Jones, and it is the only track from the Thriller album that was never released as a single. Can you believe that? Now, no matter where you saw Michael Jackson perform, whether it was in person, which I never had the pleasure of doing, or if it was in his music specials that aired on television, where you could see fans and stars alike simply mesmerized by his presence. He was definitely a star's star. Or in one of his many videos that showcase his imagination and creativity time and time again, and despite all of the controversies that he faced later in his career, I will always believe him to be the greatest performer of all time. There was no one like him, and there will never be another like him again. And when you look at all his songs, he covered a wide range of emotions. Wide range of emotions, wide range of topics like peace and, and about humanity. He gave us music to jam to, and he gave us songs about love. Happy heavenly birthday, Michael. May you continue to rest in power and in peace, King. 
Well, kings and queens, we've come to the end of yet another show. I do hope that the information provided will be of help to you, and I hope that you enjoyed the tribute to Michael Jackson. Remember, it's always a good idea to do your own research, no matter what the topic is, especially if your life is involved. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, and I look forward to being with you all again next week. Please be sure to follow Village Mentality on Instagram at villagementality.ckm as in Mary and on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast. You can catch all episodes of Village Mentality on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, and Breaker. And there's also a link to each episode available on Instagram at villagementality.ckm as in Mary and on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast as well as the awakenedlounge.com backslash village hyphen mentality. And just remember that God has got me and he's got you too. Be blessed, beautiful people. And here's to brighter days. <laughs>